I could sit here and spout off a bunch of statistics about coffee drinking and try to explain to you how popular coffee drinking is in in our world. And you would already know all of that. We all know that coffee is one of the most popular beverages of choice for people around the world. I fully admit that I am in the minority for not being a coffee drinker. And people always look at me like I have seven heads when I say that. But I can't deny how much coffee culture has an effect on our communities and our country and our world. There are so many people that are involved in the supply chain to make coffee, to harvest the beans and to roast and to pour the cups. There are people all across the world that are involved in the coffee industry. And my guests today wanted to take their passion for coffee and for people, and they wanted to make a difference. And so they founded something that's pretty incredible. Welcome to Business with Purpose. I'm your host, Molly Stillman of Still Being Molly, and this show is all about bringing you the stories behind the brands, companies, and small businesses that are changing the world. Each week, I interview an entrepreneur, a CEO, nonprofit director, community leader, or just an incredible person who is trying to make a positive impact, not only through their personal life, but also with their career. My goal is to show you that no matter what you do for a living, you can make an impact wherever you are. My guests this week are Brian Holland and Britt Mooney of Phoenix Roasters in Atlanta. Brian is the founder of Phoenix Community of Atlanta, a church for the marginalized, the poor, and the broken, and also the founder of Phoenix Roasters, a coffee company that provides dignified jobs and relief and hope to families caught in the cycle of poverty through the sale of excellent coffee. His business partner, Britt Mooney, is a church planter with Phoenix Community who works for Phoenix Roasters and is also an author of fiction and nonfiction books. This was such a good conversation. Honestly, probably one of my favorites to date. I have been thinking about it for weeks after we got off of our interview and they are just two of the most incredible people. I love the work they are doing and you are going to love this conversation. But before I get to my conversation with Brian and Britt, I want to thank our partner of the show and that is Mama Suds. I have to ask, how much time do you spend reading labels? A lot, right? Mama Suds would like to help you take the stress of research out of your life with their truly safe, non-toxic household cleaning collection. They have everything you need to keep your family and your home clean and safe. Now, if you've seen my Instagram stories, you know that I love their laundry soap, I use their household cleaner, I have their hand soap, so good. But the best part is that they use plants and minerals to make their products, nothing synthetic. The head mama at Mama Suds is Michelle Smith, and she has spent a crazy amount of time tracking down exceptional ingredients so that they are not only safe for you and your family, but sustainable for the planet. Mama Suds wants to inspire you to live a smart, healthy, and sustainable life that brings you joy and peace of mind. Try them out at mamasuds.com. That's M-A-M-A-S-U-D-S.com and use the code MOLLY for 15% off your order. Now on to my conversation with Brian and Britt. Brian and Britt, welcome to the show. How are you fellas doing? Hey, Molly. 
Doing great. We're awesome. Do, we're doing really well. Thank you for having us on. <laughs> yes. We are, uh, we, we always say around here, we're blessed That's right. and highly caffeinated. I That's right. <laughs> Well, I'm really excited about this. You guys have been somebody that uh, Ashley Johnson has uh, reached out to me for the last probably two years telling me that I need to have you guys on the show. And I was like, all right, we're going to do it. We're, we're making it happen. And here we are. And um, I'm going to go ahead and confess something right off okay. of the bat. Like, I just feel like we have to get this out there. And you, I'm going to I'm going to pray that y'all are going to give me the grace that I do not deserve. And that is I don't drink coffee. And I am not a coffee what? drinker. I know. I know. And so here we are. We're going to do a whole episode about coffee and I don't oh drink coffee. So I'm well, really. because you haven't, you haven't visited our uh, roastery right. yet. That is true. You haven't had our coffee. Yet. I've we, never we, had we, your coffee. We, we convert the 70% of people that want to love coffee into coffee lovers. Yeah. I, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm really laying it out there. Um, I've never do, been do, a coffee drinker. Like, Can't do it. Do you like uh, apple pie? Uh, I do like apple pie. Do you, do you like peach cobbler? I do like peach cobbler. Do you like blueberry cobbler? I have I had blueberry cobbler? I don't know, but <laughs> I like blueberries. Well, there you go. So all, we have we have coffee drinks that taste like apple pie. Oh wow! Like baked cinnamon apple, like all right. blueberry cobbler. So there. So we we they have as much caffeine from a uh, from coffee as a regular cup of coffee, but they go through our patented nitro infusion technology. So there you go. <laughs> I love it. Well, I am currently caffeinating myself on, um, you guys are based in Atlanta. Uh, I have a Diet Sweet Coke. Tea. So it's uh, Diet Coke. <laughs> <laughs> well, I went to the, because uh, I, I was telling y'all that um, I went to Atlanta uh, a week ago. And for my listeners, it was just a quick trip. I was wearing my mask. I was socially distancing all the things. I just want you guys to know it was a work trip. I had to go. Um, I just feel like I have to say that. This is what it is. Um, and uh, But I was by myself. And so it was the first time I was by myself in nine months. And so I, I realized I had a, like an afternoon kind of to myself. And so I'd picked up food from a local sports bar, brought it back to my hotel room and was watching the Cleveland Browns game because I'm a big Cleveland Browns fan. And oh, what? Yeah, just I mean, this airs in February, so a lot can happen between <laughs> no, now and February. Yeah, but I yeah. will say right now, I am in 35 years of being a Browns fan. I am the happiest Browns fan on earth right now. I am definitely um, a Baker Mayfield. A lot of things oh, yeah. can change between now and February. But uh, after that, I was like, well, I've got some time. I've never been to the Coca-Cola Museum. So I walked down to the Coca-Cola Museum and I go by myself. And it was great. I had a fantastic time. I just was a tourist by myself for a little bit. And then when I was leaving, I realized it was pitch black dark because I forget oh. that the sun set so early. So here I am in downtown Atlanta by myself and I didn't have a way back to my hotel. But then I found a bird scooter and I bird scooted back. So anyway, yeah, that's my quick that story. Is funny. Did you drink the Italian Coke? The, uh, the, the Beverly I don't is know, the Italian. It like, mm, it's disgusting. Yeah. It is just it's like licorice or something. It is it's disgusting. Like... <laughs> yes, I took I, I I did an Instagram story where I was tasting all the different international ones, and I get to the Italian one, and I was like, "Oh, what is this?" <laughs> I had a lot of people who it's were like, "Italian." Yes, it's Italian. <laughs> I had a lot of people who were like, "Oh, I grew up in Atlanta, and we took field trips to that museum, and I still remember how bad it was." <laughs> Oh, man. Okay. Well, here we are. I'm so excited. Um, you guys clearly will hopefully forgive me for not drinking coffee. Mm -hmm. And the next time I'm in the Atlanta area, I will come and I will try your coffee. Um, I can't guarantee that you'll convert me, but I will give it a shot. 
All right. Thank you. There you go. If you can drink Italian Coke, you, can, <laughs> yeah, right? you, will, <laughs> you will like it better than Italian Coke. I mean, I did spit Which that out. the bar really low. Exactly. <laughs> I can live with that comparison. Really low. I love it. Okay, well, I'm going to have you guys start off with uh, the Brit and Brian 101. So uh, who, either one of you can go first. Tell me who you are, what you do, and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, okay. I'll, I'll see if I can... Uh, Make that short and sweet. I'm Brian Holland, the uh, founding pastor of the Phoenix Community here in Atlanta. We're a church planning network. I was a youth pastor for 20 years. Uh, prior to that, I was not a, a Jesus lover at all. And so it was one of those things that uh, literally you hear people talk about uh, the, the change that Jesus makes. He, he changed everything, including my focus and dream and vision. Uh, you know, I want to be a big business millionaire. I, I always say I have the spiritual gift of instigation. Some call that entrepreneurship, but I have the spiritual gift of getting things started. And so, but yeah, no, my heart turned to broken and hurting and desperate people, people that were like me before Jesus. That led me to, to starting a church towards uh, a demographic of people that did just to me, it looked like the kind of people Jesus was always walking towards, right? So yeah. it just always, I, I just didn't see that kind of church. And one reason is, is because economically, they're not really able to support that in the traditional model of, of how a church is funded, which is passing an offering plate and receiving an offering. And so we started in 2007, the Phoenix community, and then started in 2008, the um, Phoenix Roasters, our coffee company, because we ran out of money as a church. The economy <laughs> collapsed. And Sam, Dr. Samuel Chan said in his book, Bigger, Faster Leadership, that vision is most often born out of need. And that certainly mm -hmm. was ours. We started a business to, to fund our model of yeah. planting churches to the broken, hurting, desperate, addicted, marginalized people. And so that was in 2008. And yeah, so that's, I mean, that in just one little piece at a time, God just began through, you know, I know we're going to talk about the book at some point, but literally saying yes to God get, has like just opened up this whole path that we never saw coming. So it's just a matter of saying yes. And, and one little piece at a time, one little piece of time, we'll get into that, I'm sure. So Britt? Well, my story kind of begins in, in high school because I grew up in the church and knew how to play the church game. And so my my encounter with God was, wow, this is real. This is not a game. This is not just a show. And so God led me on a whole path of just how is this real and and what does that mean for it to be real? And what that ended up meaning was, you know, just kind of less less structure, less religion, less uh, programming, more simple, more relationship. So I was always kind of drawn to that. Mm. And then my wife and I, I got married and my wife and I were called to, over, to teach overseas. We were both teachers. And so we taught overseas for, for four years and we were missionaries and did all kind of ministry stuff over there. And when God called us back to the U.S., he said, now I want you to live like missionaries in your home country. I want you to go back to your home country and live like missionaries there. And uh, now that you know what it means to live as a stranger in a strange land, now go do that yeah. in your own country. And so with that kind of call, we did all sorts of different things. And, and as one season kind of started to, to end, um, I, you know, I've known Brian for a long time. He was my both little sisters. He was their youth pastor and you guys had a great relationship. And Brian knows everybody. I'm not saying that like I'm special. Brian knows like everybody. He is special. But, uh, <laughs> but, 
but you know, so, but I knew what he was doing with Phoenix. We had kept up with that. And my sister and my brother-in-law had led worship here for a while. And both, both sisters and both brothers, both sisters and wow. both brother-in-laws led worship. And so, and so we were connected. And so when that sort of season of what my wife and I were doing at the time kind of came to an end and we were looking around about what to do, we were like, well, the closest thing that we see that we're, that is in line with what we're called to is, is what Brian's doing. The whole bivocational thing, the whole relational thing, the whole, you know, going to the broken and the hurting and go, reaching out um, was all stuff that we really connected with. And then, of course, just the stories that Brian has been telling for years and now that we're a part of the stories. I, I, mean, I have a background in writing. I've written novels and articles and blogs. So uh, I ended up being the one who wrote the book uh, about all these stories that people have told us and Brian for years, you got to write a book. These are some amazing stories. And so now here we are and we're still living, living the dream, right? Mm, it is. It, well, it is a dream. <laughs> it really is, but it is, uh, you know, it, it's kind of one page at a time. Mm -hmm. we, we look back and there's a story there. Yeah. And uh, when you, you, when right. you walk with Lord, you know, Proverbs 16, nine says a man plans his steps, but the Lord directs his path. Mm -hmm. Right. So, for the longest time, all we could muster up enough energy for was one day, one step at a time. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, yeah, Britt came along and his talents and gifts. Again, I'm, I'm an initiator, an instigator, a, a starter. But I said, Britt, if you don't write it, it'll never get written. Everybody's got, everybody says we got to write it. So, <laughs> Well, there's a lot that I want to unpack there. But real quick, because, uh, you know, just we haven't said that yet. So you wrote a book. What's it called? How can people get it? We'll, we're going to throw that out there right off the bat. Okay, sure. Um, the book is called Say Yes, How God-Sized Dreams Take Flight. Mm. And the whole purpose of the book, as we started to tell our story, we didn't just want to tell our story yeah. because we believe everyone is invited into God's story. Right. And so we wanted to tell our story as a bridge to say, you are probably not called to start a coffee company. You're mm -hmm. probably not called to plant a church. You're probably not called to you know, go overseas or whatever, all the stories that we have, but you are called to say yes to God about mm. something. God has called you to something. So, so we use our story and Brian's story and then our story as the Phoenix community of Atlanta and, the, and Phoenix Roasters as kind of a bridge and a stepping off point to ask, the reader, like, what's God telling you, you know? And so and that's why it's called say yes, because saying yes is what's going to unlock anything that God wants to do in your mm -hmm. life. That's, mm -hmm. that's what's going to unlock the joy, the peace, the excitement, the danger, the yeah. risk, like it's going to unlock a lot of things. And so we kind of unpack that throughout the book using our story as an example. So, yeah. So here's a, here's a question. If you knew, uh, if you had a choice of going down a path where you knew every single step along the way and where it was going to definitely end, yet God was not going to be with you. Or you had a choice of going down a path where you weren't sure what tomorrow would bring and you weren't sure exactly what it would look like, but you knew that God was going to be with you. Which would you choose, right? So it's kind of a, an interesting riddle. Like my control issue is, well, I want to know where it's going to end. I want to know where it's going to go. I want to know how I'm going to get there. I want to know this and that and the other. And people are like, wow, you got the coolest story. You got church and coffee and you got, oh man, that's so, and I'm like, man, I didn't get in this to get in coffee. I didn't get into this to, to know that the, the plight of the, the coffee farmer and now more than ever with the COVID pandemic, our coffee farmers are in 
enormous peril of losing their farms to giant corporations that are somehow able to still harvest and produce their coffee, but the micro farmer is being told to shelter in place and they're not even allowed. And I mean, it, what, what we're facing in the car, I didn't get into church. I didn't get into youth ministry to get into that. Right. right. I didn't say yes to God to get into that, but it's just the, the one step at a time. So. Yeah. And you can get it on Amazon. You can get it on our website, phoenixroasters.coffee, along with mm. copy and all kind of other merch. But um, but you can get it anywhere books are sold. It, we, it's a it's a traditionally published book. So the distribution is out there. So just look it up on anywhere you get books and it's uh, uh, ebook and paperback. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I want to kind of go go back, cause I, but I, I wanted you to just share that because I'm always I, I have a lot of friends who are authors. So I'm, I'm big into y'all get the book, pre-order it. It's already out, but you go and yeah, get right. it. And uh, because supporting an author is um, is super important. But yeah, but I, I, there's a couple things I want to unpack there in both of your stories that I really, really just personally um, connected with. And Brian, I too did not grow up a Christian. And uh, so I didn't become a Christian until I was 25. And um, so I very much connect with that part of your story because that is a big part of my heart is um, I, I say this all the time. I'm like, look, y'all. <laughs> If God can do it for me, like he can do it for anybody, because I was as far from the Lord as you can get. And I, uh, he, tra he transformed everything for me. And I look at who I was 10 years ago versus who I am now. And it's two completely different people. I'm still, that's, I mean, that's like why my, my blog is called still being Molly. I'm still me. I'm still the person God created me to be. I'm just actually walking in that, in that calling and in that purpose now. And where I wasn't before, I was trying to do my own thing. I was like, I'm fine. I don't need any help. I don't need God. Um, which God's like, that's hilarious. You're yes. adorable. Um, and, <laughs> and Britt, my husband kind of did the same thing in that, like, he grew up Southern Baptist, missed, like, you know, five Sundays of church his entire life. He played every right. instrument on the worship team and in the youth group. And he was at church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Friday night. Like you just, you know, and then you have their youth groups all the time. And so it wasn't really until he became an adult that he began to develop his own personal relationship rather than just going through the mm. motions of all of it. Yeah. And so that in and of itself is just like, oh, yes, I totally get that story and how God uses those stories for so many great things. But in particular is just this idea. And then you wrote a whole book on it, obviously. But this is a this is a very unique idea. And I think we're we are in a time in our culture that I think this notion of saying yes, when you don't know the outcome or taking one step forward when you don't know what's on the other side is a needed concept while also I think a very foreign concept for some people. And I'm doing a, um, a study right now this year. I'm in Bible study fellowship, uh, B BSF for mm -hmm. people that don't know what that is. Um, and we're going through the book of Genesis. And for the past two months, month and a half, we've been just slowly chugging through Abraham's story. And when you're really taking that time to slow down and marinate in scripture, there's so many things that just, you can read the same story 50 times and, and all of a sudden you're like, I've never right. noticed that. Yeah. Um, but man, if Abraham's story is not the epitome of the saying yes, when you have absolutely no idea what's going to happen or realizing that you cannot possibly do 
on your own, this thing that God has called you to, I don't know what is. Yeah, here, here's the thing about Abraham. Remember, Abraham is the father of our faith. Mm-hmm. That's what the Bible calls. He's the father of, of faith. And the New Testament always refers back to Abraham and yeah. his faith. So Abraham was told two things. Number one, Abraham was told, if you go, I'll bless you. Right. But I won't tell you exactly where you're going. Right. Until you get there. And that's the same thing we're told. We're told if you say yes, you'll be blessed. Yep. I just won't tell you exactly where or how. All you've got is this first step. All that's all you've got. And so that was that was exactly our leadership team because we had come to the place where in 2008 that we were either going to shut down the dream of helping the Phoenix people, the broken and hurting, those that are burned up and, and need to rise up out of the ashes. That's why we have the name the Phoenix community. That's yeah. why we have the name Phoenix Roasters. It's the specific demographic of people Jesus was always attracted to the people that were on the verge of exploding out of death into life. Yeah. And so, um, so we're sitting in our leadership team and we're like, look, you know, the traditional model of, of funding a church doesn't work on a good day at Phoenix, but all the people (laughs) in churches that were supporting us to, because they believed in our model. Now they can't afford to support us either. Yeah. So it wants, something's going to have to give. We're either we're going to have to create a new model of funding this dream or we're going to close. And so we, we committed to all week long digging through scripture to see what God was up to. And what was ironic was when we came back the next week, we landed on Genesis 12 as our mm. permission to start a business. And we said that yep. we said, OK, so what what is the deal uh, with Genesis 12 one? Well, Tara was on his way to Canaan when he stopped. That was the end of Genesis 11 and Genesis 12, 1. So God told Abraham to get up and go to the land God would show him. We interpreted that as God's permission to start a business that supported the planting of not just one church, but many churches. And we said, okay, so what business? And we went back to Genesis 12, 1, and we said, I don't know. It doesn't say in Genesis 12, one, what business it says, just walk faithfully and God will be with you. But it did say something at the end of chapter 11. And that is that Terah was on his way to Canaan when he stopped. And so it's ironic that Abraham pointed his caravan in the way of his father's dream. Mm-hmm. Well, my, my parents love coffee. And so we just began thinking about businesses that bring people together. You got the beer industry, you know, you make a social contract with somebody when you say, Hey, let's grab a beer. Yeah. Brit, let's go grab a beer. Then and sure. Brit says, yes. Then we've made an hour long social contract. So cigars, you know, yeah. Okay. Grab a cigar. Well, that means you're probably into it for an hour and a half or coffee. Well, the monks were brewing the best beer. You know, we're not cool enough for a cigar church. And so <laughs> we ended up with coffee and, uh, <laughs> a, and it was just a great thing. We, we didn't know what it looked like. And we just kept saying yes, kept saying yes, kept saying yes. Yeah. Oh, man, that's amazing. Now, so like, I love kind of that origin story. And yeah, I'm telling you, man, scripture is just rich. And it has so many different layers that just you can keep peeling them away and they will just keep coming. And it's so it's like it's alive. It's almost <laughs> like it's it's a living, yeah. breathing thing. It's almost <laughs> like that this 2000 plus year old thing is still you know, relevant today. It's amazing. Um, So, you know, obviously you you continued to say yes, you were listening to God and you were kind of, you know, conferencing with each other, kind of trying to figure out what you were going to do. You're like, okay, we're going to do coffee. What was the next step and how did you begin to 
figure out what was that next thing that you needed to say yes to? Well, we had a guy on our leadership team that kept saying these foreign words to us. What if we were a marketplace church? What if we were a marketplace church? And I had no idea. I was a youth pastor for 20 years in the Southern Baptist church. And, and I, I, didn't, I didn't know what that meant, marketplace church. And he's like, well, you know, to Britt's point, it, it's kind of like an international model, right? Where you have a business that's a real business, if you're a credible missionary, you have a real business, not a fake business, that's actually helping the community and right. uh, helping fund the advancement of the gospel. Well, so we go, uh, we start praying about marketplace church and we start thinking, mm -hmm. well, it'd be kind of cool to do like coffee shops instead of churches. And that was back in 2008, coffee shops. And then the, the economy, you know, just get, starts getting further and further. You, we start looking at it and it's just further and further from being able to to open a coffee shop, we right. couldn't get a loan. There was just no money. The, the, you know, it was first, it was residential, then it was commercial that collapsed. And so, um, in 2008, I was driving down the road about to deliver paychecks to my two co-pastors who had signed on before the collapse of the market. And at this point we were getting paid once a month, we would pay all of our bills and then we would split whatever was left over. In this particular case, as I'm driving down the road, I'm going to deliver two monthly paychecks to two full-time pastors for less than a dollar an hour. Mm. And um, I was broken. I was going driving between a Waffle House and a Home Depot, and I just screamed out, God, do you want me to work at Waffle House? I'll, I'll do anything. Mm. And he said, no, because you'll work all night and you'll do church during the day and you'll ignore your family. And so I looked at Home Depot. I said, you want me to work at Home Depot then? I'll do anything. And I felt like the Lord said, no, you'll work all day. You'll do church all night and you'll ignore your family. I said, then what do you want from me? And then I heard, I, I, unmistakably, probably not audibly, though I was the only one in the car, so I can't <laughs> confirm that. Um, but it was unmistakably, I heard God say, it's not in the shop, it's in the bean. And so I pulled over in the Home Depot parking lot. I pulled out a, a napkin and a pen, which I do a lot of my best note taking on a napkin. And right. A pen. It's true. I'm it's telling true. you. Yeah. And I said, Lord, I have no idea what that means. You're going to have to explain that to me. And on that piece of uh, napkin, I drew three pictures. I drew a, a picture of the state of Georgia and a star in Atlanta. I drew a, uh, a country in the shape of an upside down triangle. And I put a V in there like Venezuela. And then I, over to the left, I drew a bush. And then I stopped drawing. And so I, I drove over to our uh, co-pastor Greg's house to deliver that horrible check. And I said, I got uh, bad news and I've got news. And he said, well, what's the bad news? I said, here, here's your check. And we both cried. It was awful. He said, well, then what's the news? I said, um, and I give him this picture. And he said, well, what is that? And I said, I don't know. I was hoping you could tell me. And I told him what the Lord had told me. And so Greg just simply he looked at it for a while, and then he just took, made three arrows from Atlanta to Venezuela, from Venezuela to the bush, and from the bush back to Atlanta. And that became the model for what we now call the global cycle of relief. Mm. And that began this idea of this thought that what if we could do something with coffee within the church world that we could, we could somehow get coffee here, that we could somehow tell people, look, we're going to do something great with it. We're going to, we're working with homeless shelters and to end child sex trafficking. And we're doing all this stuff for the broken and hurting right here in Atlanta. And if you just buy our 
coffee, you're being a part of that story. We're just asking you to make a consumer choice to do better with what you're already doing. And uh, it got such little traction because we, we were being we were being blessed by the guys. And I'm going to name drop here by the guys at Jittery Joe's Coffee in Athens, Georgia. They were great, great guys. Maybe not even believers, but great guys. They let us repackage their coffee and sell it as ours with a little disclaimer that it was produced by them. And that was so generous of them in a time where we, we couldn't get a church. We couldn't get a business. We couldn't get our families hardly to buy our coffee. <laughs> and, uh, and it was, um, but it was what we started with. And then we started doing fundraisers and then we started roasting in 2010, an incredible story we may or may not have time for, but it's in the book. It is in the book. <laughs> uh, the story of our, how we started roasting our own coffee and how we met the number one Latino roaster in the world who God gave a vision that he would make us the, America's number one roaster. Um, it just, it, it just goes on and on. Well, you're going to have to tell me the story now. So <laughs> do it. Which one? So the roaster story? Yeah, do Let's it. Tell the roaster story. Oh man. So 2008, like I said, it's not in the, it's not in the shop. It's in the bean. And so we start repackaging others and it, it didn't take us long to figure out that there's no money in repackaging somebody else's beans. The margins are too small. The work is too hard. Plus we're full-time pastors. And uh, oh, by the way, when you allow broken and hurting and desperate people to be openly broken and hurting and desperate in church, which is not a value in the traditional church, when you allow that, it's an opening Pandora's box. Yeah. There was a, there, there's a, um, a minister to congregate algorithm that I had never noticed before, but it's basically one minister can handle about 500 people because at any given time, less than 3% of their congregants are openly in crisis because it's the, the worst case scenario when a church member's mess gets thrown into the public. Mm. Right. And so anyway, so here we were, we had all these broken and hurting and desperate people being openly broken and we're tattered and we're, we're scrambling. We, we realized we needed, we needed a better business model and we were going to have to learn to roast our own coffee, but none of us knew how to roast. And so our leadership team was like, well, what, what do you need? And we're, and so we commissioned Greg, the same guy that interpreted the picture to go out and find the, the roaster that we needed. And so he comes back and he, he, he presents to the team, this $30,000 German engineered roaster, less than a thousand in the world. And we said, why this roaster, Greg? And he says, because the reviews on it say that it works like a cement outhouse. And he says, I'm from South Alabama and I understand what that means. I said, well, what does it mean? He says, well, it's easy to operate and hard to break. And I said, <laughs> Oh, I like it. But $30,000. And so I, we, I said to the, the team, I said, should we go get a bank loan? They're like, well, pastor, what if we prayed? <laughs> and I'm like, uh, yeah, okay, right, right. Let's pray. And so dear Lord, help us get a roaster. Right. You know? And so the next, the next week I was like, anybody heard anything? No. The next week, anybody heard anything? Next month, anybody heard anything? No, let's keep praying. Let's keep praying. All the while, the economy's collapsing around us. And so 18 months go by and I come into a meeting at the insistence of a common friend of mine and Hunter's with a guy named Hunter Lambeth. We, in April of 2010, sit down in a Starbucks in Duluth, Georgia, where we planted our church in a little pizza tavern down the road. And so we sit down 
together at the insistence. We've been doing coffee semi, not really successfully, but at least diligently, we've been doing coffee um, for 18 months. And anyway, he says, uh, we sit down and Hunter's like, hey, man, how you doing? What you what you what you doing with coffee? I'm like, oh, gosh, I ain't doing much with coffee. I'm like, you know, total failure. And I had heard he was like jamming with coffee. I'm like, well, what are you doing? And he said, well, I was going to, he was a young life missionary and he'd got his start in Nicaragua. He says, I, wow, man, we were going to, we we're going to be a, uh, uh, we're going to roast coffee and we're going to support young life. But man, God's called us to, and I, I make him sound like he's from South, South uh, Southern California, but he's from Mount Airy, North Carolina. So he really sounds more like Jim neighbors. Um, <laughs> and he's uh, he says, um, he says, we're going to roast coffee and support Young Life. But, man, I've been called to Israel to plant, uh, start Young Life on the West Bank. And I'm like, oh, wow. And so he says, so tell me again what you want to do with coffee. And I said, man, I want to be a coffee roasting church that uses the revenue from coffee roasting to, to plant churches to the broken, the hurting, the desperate and addicted, the marginalized, the under-resourced, the broken up and burn up that need to rise up out of the ashes. You can say, uh, you know, he goes, man, that is awesome. Do you have a roaster? And I'm like, (laughs) no, Um, we've been praying for a roaster for about 18 months. And he goes, weird. I got a roaster. I've been holding it for a friend for the last 18 months. And I said, yeah, well, see, the thing is, it's a specific, very rare roaster we're looking for. It's a Probat L12 handcrafted German engineered, made in Memphis roaster, every, every bolt hand screwed. He goes, man, I don't know what kind of roaster it is. It's just four miles up the road from here. You want to go look at it? And I went, yeah, I think we ought to. And so we drove up to the mall of Georgia and Lifted the door on a U-Haul storage unit. And there's that a ProBat L12 handcrafted German engineer made in Memphis roaster. The exact roaster had been sitting in the ex- our same city for the exact amount of time we've been praying for it the entire time. <laughs> I am speechless. That's I know. unbelievable. If and that's- then he said in classic Mount Airy fashion, <laughs> you want to go meet the, the, the farmers that own it? They're in Nicaragua. Their father had been executed by Daniel Ortega when Ortega came back into power in the 2000s. And so they had to close up their entire roasting process in Northern California. They sent all of their equipment to their one and only American Christian friend that they trusted in Atlanta, Georgia. So it got shipped from Northern California all the way to Atlanta, Georgia, where it sat in a U-Haul storage unit the entire time we were praying for it. I That's unbelievable. Absolutely yes. unbelievable. Such an yeah. amazing story. And just, I mean, evidence of God being all over this. <laughs> like the coincidence of that is just, it, it's not a coincidence. <laughs> right. The you. chances of that. Um, that's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And so it, you began that cycle and that's been a, at the heart of what you guys do is this cycle of relief. And the other thing that you guys are really passionate about is this idea of coffee that matters. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that philosophy and how that has been really woven in and kind of ba- roasted in? See what <laughs> I did there? there roasted go. in <laughs> to your to your culture and philosophy. I'm going to let Britt talk to that. And here's why. I mean, I can talk about it all day, but, it, <laughs> you know, Britt, 
came came to us at a time where we were just starting to get out there in the conference world, the, the, the Christian leadership world like Catalyst and Orange and Passion Conference. And so Britt has been tasked because of his specific giftedness with communicating with all these churches and all these people that we come in contact. It's our number one goal in these conferences to get contacts. Molly, you know, contacts are king, right? That is the name of the game is yep. to get contacts. So Britt has, has had so many interactions with people that have, have uh, come into contact with our coffee that matters. And um, Britt, why don't you tell some of those stories that you can think of? Well, again, it, it goes back to something that was happening at the at a certain point in time. We were up for a coffee contract with a very large organization, like a fast food restaurant. So we were, you know, scrambling and trying to like get the right marketing down. And because of a story that Brian's father told him about uh, just through stuff that happened at Mercer University, there's a story about Mother Teresa where this, there's this businessman who gets on a plane, he's coming from uh, Europe, and he's just made this huge sale, the kind of sale that his commission would just set him up for the rest of his life. Yeah. And, you know, so he's getting on this plane, coming back home to America, and Mother Teresa sits next to him mm. on the plane. And Mother Teresa kind of touches his arm, and of course, he's kind of that was pre-COVID. That was pre-COVID. Yeah, pre-COVID. Uh, but Mother Teresa just kind of touches his arm, and he knows it's Mother Teresa, right? Like, how do you not know that's who that is? And and so she sits next to him. He doesn't say anything, and she introduces the conversation by saying, well, young man or son or something, what do you do that matters? That was her first question to this man, and he couldn't answer her. He couldn't, even though he just made this mil, multi-million dollar deal, he couldn't answer her that he what he did in his life that actually mattered. And it totally changed his life because he comes back to America and because of his contact somewhere with Mercer University, President Mercer, yeah. he starts he starts this Mercer on Mission project where he took students at the college and took their skills. And if they were in medicine or whatever, he, you know, they did medical things or whatever their skills were, he would use that somewhere in the world to help mm -hmm. with missions. Right. So Brian took that idea and he says, well, you know, people want to matter. People want to do things that matter. And this gives us purpose. It gives us meaning and our, gives our life meaning. And, and so he came up with coffee that matters. And so, so when we say coffee that matters, it's, it's really a pretty genius thing to, to say because we put it on everything and people right. will, will invariably ask, how does it matter? You say, and something I, I started saying at, um, at conferences, I was like, you know, just so you know, all we have today is amazing coffee that's changing the world. That's all we have <laughs> to give you. And then they look at me and they go, well, how is it changing the world? Which, which I find interesting because they don't say, well, how is it amazing coffee? What they say is, how is it changing the world? That's what they really want to know. And then you can start to say, well, you know, we pay our farmers directly. And there's all kinds of stories like Brian was saying that from these guys. And then when I got involved, like there's just one step after another where God led us into ways for it to matter. Mm -hmm. And and that's see, see that's one thing that happens when you let God tell your story. When you enter God's story, he's going to lead you into things that matter. Mm -hmm. Not just to you but to others. He's going to lead you into things cuz he loves everybody. And he he loves everybody equally uh, from the top to the bottom and there's no top to the bottom to him by the way. It's just all he just loves everybody. Mm -hmm. And so so he's going to lead you into things that matter. And so when we talk about our relationship with our farmers I was in Boston at a coffee is coffee is mission conference. So they had 
the uh, specialty coffee uh, expo in Boston a year or two ago in the spring. And Wes Patterson, our roaster, he and I went, and, you know, and we go to this copyist mission conference that was the day before. And they had this panel of these bigger name, bigger name than us, coffee, missional coffee guys up there, up there. And, and they're on this panel and they're having a panel and they're discussing. And, and at one point they start asking this question. They said, well, we know we're giving a good price for the coffee, but how do we know what they're doing with, the, with that money? How do we know that they're actually using that money for something good. And I look across the room at Wes because we, we, we try to, you know, network around, you know, so I look across the room at Wes, like, cause this is the only coffee company I've ever known. Like <laughs> I, I, I am not an expert, you know, in coffee companies. And I just raised my hand and I, I said, well, have you gone and visited them? Have you like got on a plane and just go stayed with them? And like, you know, like, because for me, that was, that seemed like a no brainer. Like, and so the fact that we have such deep relationship with our farmers, mm-hmm. our farmers, are our family, like, yeah. like they, they're, you know, and, and so we choose to do business with indigenous farmers, yes. not, not American farmers. Yeah. yeah. And so we, we deal with them directly and, and how's the coffee matter? Well, we pay our farmers because we deal with them directly. We pay them 10 to 20 times more than they would normally get. And that means they get to, they get to pay their workers three to four times than they would normally get, which cuts down on transiency, which cuts down on broken families which helps with medication and education. Yeah, increases. We, we've seen the, uh, the grade level completion rise from third grade on average to now we're seeing children in the villages where we do, uh, uh, we have coffee, uh, farmers doing business and planting churches. We're seeing kids graduate high school that in 2012, they'd never had somebody go past middle school. Wow. And so we're seeing the average grade completion raised, raised by up to six to seven grades. Yeah. And so some people say, well, how does it matter? Like we've got all these things. And, and one of our farmers supports somewhere in the neighborhood of 89 missionaries. Mm-hmm. Uh, all Latino over, missionaries little, going into the most gospel hostile countries in the world. And, you know, and then, of course, you know, we, get the, we get the coffee here. And when we sell the coffee, we, we deal with the homeless in the Atlanta mission, uh, people who deal with homelessness. We deal in addiction and sex trafficking. We have all these things that we give to, uh, we don't give to sex trafficking. Transitional housing yeah. for single mothers. <laughs> I know what you mean. <laughs> but, uh, well, but ironically, though, we just, uh, our, our fifth church plant in Athens, Georgia, just took over a, uh, the, the, when they were looking for a place to plant their church, they came across an old, shady, really, really shady, former porn and adult novelties store. And so we, we ended up taking that and redeeming it and making it the Phoenix community of Athens, Georgia, which is if I, I'm a Georgia tech fan, so I can't think of a, a more godless place in the world. than Athens. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh man. That's absolutely incredible. I, I mean, just to know all the deep, you know, the intricacies and, and the, the way that you're impacting both farmers abroad in addition to your local communities, that's huge. And that really does you know, I love I love that story of just you have this big coffee company that's like, well, how do we know? And it's like, what? Just have you been there? Have you asked them? Like, they didn't answer me, by the way. I just want to say they did. They looked at me like, what do you mean? Like, what are you talking about? And and like I said, I thought I was. I thought that was normal. Like, basic. again, this is normal to me. Yeah. Right. Right. Because you're doing work that matters and business that matters. And, and, and that's, that's one of those philosophies too, that, you know, is, is very counterculture. And 
Um, actually, there's a coffee place around here called like a coffee shop called Counterculture Coffee. So I'm like, wow. Mm-hmm. But but um, just thinking about like that is like your philosophy and everything you're doing with Phoenix is is so counterculture and and but in the way that business should be done because you're impacting not only your supply chain, you're impacting your local community and the people that you hire there in addition to, you know, the people that you're impacting through your customers Mm. and how that has this kind of drop in the bucket ripple effect or drop in the pond or ocean, whatever it is, you know what I mean? Um, And how it, it just continues to, to grow and to, um, you know, I, I, I use this analogy all the time because it's, it's never been more relevant, but just this idea of, you know, this is your loaves and fish. Mm-hmm. You're bringing yeah. your loaves and fish and just trusting that God is going to multiply what you've brought. Yeah. Uh, I came up with the term last year and I just, it just came out of me when I was writing one of those mini emails and I came up with a term called, cause I was talking about how we preach the gospel through business. Yeah. And I came up with the term redemptive trade because, you know, we've all heard of fair trade, Mm. but to me, what God has shown us, what God has revealed, because again, like Brian said, Brian didn't get into it to learn this, you know, and I, neither did I, but what God has shown us is that redemptive trade, like you said, looks at all the impacts of, of, Mm -hmm. of that economic decision. It looks at all the impacts political, social, religious, gospel. It looks at all the impacts, personal, individual. It looks at all those things. And there's nothing wrong with just having good business and making sure you're ethical and all that. But, but like you're saying, God is a holistic God. And I think that's the main thing that I had to learn when God really entered my life when I was in high school, is I had two different lives. I had the church life and I had my life, you know? And what God showed me is that, no, it's everything. It's everything. I'm everything. I'm in, I'm in all of it. Yep. And he's still teaching me how he is. But, but my point is, is that so for us, like you're saying, like those ripple effects, it's not that we're not even smart enough to figure all of that out. Yeah. It's just when we're saying yes and we're being generous and we're seeing how those ripple effects are, of redemption and transformation keep happening on different levels. Hmm. Mm. <laughs> Man, that's good. That's some having some church up in here today. <laughs> I could ask you guys 57,000 more questions. Um, I don't know if that's a like a rough estimation or slight exaggeration. <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, okay. But before we get to the get to know you round, um, we already talked about the book. What is kind of on the horizon for Phoenix Roasters in 2021? And, you know, like uh, how can people support you? What's next? Right. So I would say that uh, for us, you know, we... While we are not, we have great plans to be aggressive. Um, you know, we, we are making some strategic retreats in some things and very strategic advances in other things when it comes to uh, coffee. One of, the, one of the sad plights in the coffee world is the micro farmer right now is being told to shelter in place. And at the same time, do you think that the giant corps are sheltering in place and not harvesting their coffee? No, they're not. So what's happening is, is the giant corporations are going to the micro farmer and giving them nickels on the dollar for their farm, Mm -hmm. not their crop, for their farm. So that for a one-time purchase of nickels on the dollar, the farmer can stay alive this year, but will not have any revenue in any business the rest of his life in coffee. So, so this is, this is a massive problem in the coffee right. world for the right. micro farmers. So we are working hard 
to make sure our supply chain is secure with our current farmers, but also to resource them to steady their friends that are in the coffee business so that they don't get swallowed up by the giant corporations. That's one big thing that we're really focused on from, uh, you know, our goal has always been to plant 20 churches around the city of Atlanta. Right before this, I had an incredible uh, meeting with a, a man who is looking to start a, uh, a church that is uh, kind of like church on tap with uh, cra- everything craft and everything local and yeah. um, craft beer, craft coffee, axe throwing, you know, kind of <laughs> place, you know, I mean, who wouldn't want to go to church there. Right. And, uh, <laughs> And so he, but he, this guy, you talk about a lover of Jesus. He, this guy has been pastoring his community on another, but he's on staff at another, at a church that's like, you know, 12, 15 miles from him or more maybe. But in any way, he, he was just like, man, do you think I'm ready? You think I'm ready? I'm like, bro, (laughs) you've been pastoring that community for 16 years. It's not, are you ready? It's that that they are ready. They are so ready for you to say yes. And so, you know, we want to see our dream is 20 Phoenix uh, community church plants. I told uh, somebody recently, they asked me, how, how will I know I'm successful in what I've set out to do? I mm-hmm. said, when I become a grand pastor, a grand pastor, when one of the churches that we plant plants another church, because that's what we've been called to is to make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. We've not been called to make church members. We've not been called to be cul-de-sacs. We've been called to be merge ramps. Mm. And that's what we want to be. We don't want to be a, a cul-de-sac. That's what a, that's what the American church is, is a cul-de-sac where everybody dead ends. We want to be a merge ramp. We want you to, to be a conduit. And that's what church plants ought to be, at least Phoenix community church plants ought to be. And so, yeah, so that's that's what's on the horizon for us. Yeah, we, we, you know, we've got two patents on this nitrogen infusion technology. We've got incredible stories of how God's at work with that. Um, we're having to defend it all the time and, and <laughs> legally because people are trying to steal it all the time. And uh, that's kind of a bummer. But um, we're seeing, like I told you earlier, being able, only 30% of people born after 1981, millennials and beyond, only 30% of that group claims to love coffee, but 100% of those born after 1981 claim coffee culture as their culture. They love the coffee culture. They just don't have a coffee drink they love. And so that's what our nitro infusion coffee craft beverages, and that's what it's all about. So we're looking uh, at uh, canning and um, mass distribution would be awesome. So you can pray for us about that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all my, like I said, I'm the weird one. All my friends drink coffee because everybody's always like, you want to go meet for coffee? And I'm like, can I bring my Diet Coke? <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so I'm the weird one. And I mean, I identify more as a zennial. What's like the, the middle, like between Gen X and millennial. I don't really identify with millennial, even though I think some things technically say that I'm a millennial. But I don't identify with any of that because anything that's like, you're this if you're a millennial, I'm like, yeah, that's not me. But I'm too young for Gen X. So there's like the awkward people in the middle. That's me. Zennial. So you're a millennial with an old soul. Something like that. Well, because like I'm the generation that, you know, grew up with. uh, We didn't have Internet. We had a rotary phone. Uh, You know, I didn't get Internet till middle school. And, um, yeah, we had a rotary phone and I mean, all like all that kind of stuff. Like I had a pager, I had a pager. That was a, that was a, 
you know. I know. I remember getting cable in in high school, or maybe when I went off to college, my mom got my dad cable for Christmas one time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, like, yeah, I don't remember when we got cable, but it was not, I mean, you had to, if you wanted to change a channel, guess what you did? You oh, got yeah, up right. from the couch and you walked that's up what, to the that's TV. younger brothers and sisters are for. Yeah. And you had to turn the knob. I was the remote. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The remote. Exactly. Thank My you. My dad was like, turn it, turn. and he would, he would channel surf with me. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Turn it to five. Okay. Turn it back to eight. Yeah. I mean, like he would. That was my job. Yeah, I know. And then when you have like, uh, when when we did have internet and it was the dial up and the like, I, I tell my children all the time, I'm like, y'all don't know the sound that came out of your computer. Oh yeah. When it, and then you would take. Don't edit that out. I know. Yeah, yeah. You would. <laughs> you take. 15 and a half minutes to lo to get on to AOL and then it'd be like you've got mail and then mom would pick up the phone and then kick you off the internet I'm like oh right this or, is like right not even worth it a picture that would take if you download that picture and it would go that, I that mean slow. it would come go really on. slow and then your mom would pick up the phone and, in the middle and you're like oh, I almost had the picture I know oh man and then you have floppy disks they only they were like they fit like a document and a half on them <laughs> these massive discs that were like four megabytes the oh, first man. digital camera i ever had took a floppy disk yes <laughs> see okay see we went off on a tangent but it's it, whatever it's go. fine okay so i'm gonna have all of that information as far as how to uh connect with you guys and find out more um in the show notes for the listeners uh but now before we go this is the point of the show where, where i just get to ask a couple fun to get to know you questions um i'm gonna kind of go back and forth so you know, we're just going to, we're just going to do it. It's going to be fun. All right. Yeah. Question number one. Uh, this is going to be for Brian. Brian, of all of your pet peeves, which one is the strangest? Hard swallowers. People <laughs> that swallow hard next to me is I, I get like nothing turns my stomach more and makes me want to vomit in their lap than somebody that goes, mm, 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 when they drink. It is awful. It is the worst. Sorry, I might choke on my... Uh, do, not, do not hard swallow around me. I won't. That's really funny. I like yeah. it. That is a, that is a strange yeah. one, but I yeah. I like it. I can respect that. I can respect that. Um, okay, Britt, what is something I would never guess about you? Never guess about me. Maybe that... I used to have long hair and I was in a heavy metal Christian band in, in high school. Maybe that I, 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 there's a, there's a, probably a lot in there. Uh, yeah. What was the I band? Like musicals. I don't know. There's a lot in there. I'm weird. What was the band called? Um, well, yeah, we were like perpetually without a name because we could never find one. We liked, we were like culture shock and we were, uh, we were all kind of names, man. Uh, the reflections was one. Uh, we reflections. Had oh, I'm, <laughs> when you say it with a, 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 a monster truck tone, yeah, it I sounds know, really I'm like reflections, reflections, reflections. No, we, Sunday, uh, Sunday, Sunday. Yeah, so, I mean, we, culture shock was the, was the one that we actually played out with every now and then, but, uh, but no, it was, it was, we could never find a cool name. We could never find a cool name. I'm not saying that's why we, <laughs> I'm not saying that's why we didn't make it. I'm just saying we had bad names. We had bad names. 
I mean, the fact that you tried to name a Christian heavy metal band <laughs> Reflection. Yeah, you know, that's what people kept saying. They're like, "That sounds like a like a Motown group from the '60s." And I'm not a heavy metal band. I'm like, "Okay, yeah, yeah." No. Oh my gosh. Oh my. I'm actually crying. I have tears like streaming down my face right now. That is hilarious. Oh man. Oh, okay. I'm gather myself. That was really funny. Okay. <laughs> okay. Oh, get it together, Molly. All right. Uh, <laughs> Brian, if you were a professional athlete, what would your walk-up song be? Goodness. <sighs> that song that just gets you hyped up. I, mm, I am not musical by any stretch. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know... Um, I guess, I guess just in, in honor of my son, um, and, and we talking about throwing up, we, we had this weird obsession when he was growing up with watching movies with great puking scenes and <laughs> like, you know, problem child too. And one of the absolute best puking scenes in all of, of theater is here comes the boom yep. and that movie. And so that song, here comes the boom sticks in my mind because you know you got this great story in that about the the teacher that goes into mma and what was that what was the actor's name that was in uh, uh, king of queens kevin something right? kevin james kevin james yeah, kevin yeah james. he did an amazing job and henry winkler was the 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 teacher the uh, music teacher and so i guess here comes the boom in yeah. honor of my son that's yeah great, i love great. it that's yeah. that's a fantastic answer oh <laughs> uh, oh man okay brit uh, what was, we were getting a little nostalgic, so this is going to, you know, we're going to okay. kind of tap into that. What was your favorite show to watch growing up? Oh my gosh. Uh, depends on the era. There was, uh, the Tomorrow People when I was young. <laughs> Tomorrow People? That, yeah, that was, it was a Brian's BBC, like... it was a BBC sci- sci-fi show that my mother to this day hates. My mother <laughs> to this day will be like, that was the worst show ever, but you would watch it over and over. Tomorrow. That and G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe was when, when I was, then when I got a little older and there was G.I. Joe, I, it was G.I. Joe every afternoon. Yeah, I think all parents have that one show that their kids love that you're like, why? Why do you right. like this show? I don't understand. Yeah, because yeah, my, my kids are seven and four, um, almost five. My son's almost five. And they definitely have a couple shows that they just love. And I'm like, what is, what? this is the dumbest show. I mean, it's nothing bad about it. Like, it's not, it's just a kid's show, but I don't understand. Like, I don't, I don't understand the allure. Like, they are obsessed with this show called Bluey. And I know a couple of my friends whose kids are also obsessed with it. It's on Disney. It's on the Disney channel, but it's actually an Australian show. And it's like an Australian wow. animated show. And I can't do an Australian accent, but, you know, it's like, oh, Blayway. Like, I don't know. All the characters are, uh, have Australian accents. They love it. They crack up. They'll watch it and just belly laugh. And I'll just be like, I don't understand. What is this? What is this? just like some animated dogs and, you know, speaking in Australian accents? I don't understand. Anyway, so I empathize with your mother because... We've all you know, got it. Now that I've seen it when I'm older, because, you know, you get older, you're like, oh, my gosh, I can yeah. download it, you know, st- you know, whatever. I can find it somewhere on YouTube or something. And then you watch it when you're an adult. You're like, oh, my God, my mother was right. This yeah. thing is horrible. Why did I, why did I, tomorrow why did I like that? Tomorrow people. Tomorrow people. I love it. Brian's like, what in the world? They were the next level. I, I could explain <laughs> the whole thing, but it's not, it's not important. <laughs> 
Oh my goodness. But, but it is personal. But it is personal. <laughs> I like it. No, I'm, I'm, I am here for it. Um, okay. My last question is uh, for both of you. And that is, what does it mean to you to run a business with purpose? Well, I, I said to the team today, I said, you know, our work is hard. Our work is hard. But uh, God has created us to accomplish great things, but he's also designed us to overcome hard things. And um, our work is hard, but by golly, there is nobody. I mean, there's nobody. We've never had anybody leave, right? It's, it's, a, weird, it's a weird thing. We've never had anybody that, that came along to our group leave. That was full time. That was kind of like, wow, yeah, that's yeah. Awesome. and so, I mean, you know, and, and so there's nobody I would rather accomplish great and hard things with than the team that I'm with. And so it means everything to me. And, and to be fair, all of our wives have sacrificed incredibly mm. for us to do this yep. and uh, none more than my own sweet Jenny. Mm. Um, so she's an incredible person. She's a very smart person and um, she's in the environmental impact world with uh, geotechnical engineering standing out in the freezing cold today uh, just to uh, support the vision and dream of the Phoenix community and Phoenix Roasters. That's awesome. Do you ever say to your wife, Jenny, I love you. You're my girl. All the time. She is my girl. <laughs> I tell her that all the You're time. You're my girl. She's my girl. Oh, I love it. Yeah. My husband says that to me all the time. And then I go, I'll, be, I'll always be a girl. <laughs> we, <laughs> we quote Forrest Gump a lot. Um, yeah. anyway, uh, I love it. Okay. Britt, what about you? Well, uh, to just reiterate what Brian said, that's a big part of it with me too. Uh, the people, uh, just seeing what God does with things is just amazing being a part of that story. And, and I think one extra point to me, and I'm sure Brian would say this too, is it's really important to me to be an example to my children about yeah. what matters. Mm, yes. And, and I want my children to see myself and my wife live in our calling because I want my children to see that our jobs aren't just jobs. Yeah. Even though my, my wife is a teacher at a public high school, but because of what we were talking about, God's a holistic God, like her job has purpose. Her job has purpose. She can find her purpose within that because of her talents and gifts. And so yeah. it's important to me as along with what Brian said, that, that my children get to see that they can have dreams, that they can be a part of something that matters uh, yeah. when they grow up too. And, and to have that sort of open-minded sort of expectation that God can do a lot of things. He can do anything. And just having them along for the journey, uh, which I think is a big part of who we are as a community, that our children are there along for the ride, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I think that in addition to what he said, that would be mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Guys, this has been an absolute pleasure. Y'all are fantastic. And I hope we keep in touch. I would love to Me have too. you guys back on the show um, again, because this has been just wonderful. And I had, like I said, I had 57,000 more questions to ask. Okay. So I think we're, we're going to need great. to do more than one, two, uh, more than one episode. <laughs> we, we, we honestly believe that this is the uh, first of many books right. that Britt has, uh, will be writing for us as a collaborative team of what does Greg call us? Uh, law, um, uh, Scraggly dogs porch or something, dogs porch or something. Dogs, something <laughs> just kind of came up and uh, somebody put out a bowl of uh, water and we never left. And so that's kind of where we are. Yes. Ah, well, thank you guys so much. Thank Thanks you so much, Molly. God bless you. 
Okay, friend, I'd love to know what you loved about this episode or something that you learned. If you do, let me know on social media. You can find me at Still Being Molly or at Business with Purpose Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. And don't forget to use the hashtag Business with Purpose Podcast. And another thank you to our partner of the show, Mama Suds. Don't forget to use the code Molly for 15% off and shop at mamasuds.com. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode. If you're a first time listener, welcome. Be sure to check out the archives for past shows featuring incredible entrepreneurs and business owners who are literally changing the world with their businesses. And if you're a regular listener of the show, Thank you for tuning in week in and week out. And thank you for your support. Be sure to head on over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Radio Public, or wherever you listen to podcasts and click the subscribe or follow button to make sure you never miss a new episode of the show. And while you're there, would you mind taking a moment to leave a review? Leaving a review helps to show me what you're liking and how the show is personally impacting you. This show is produced by the incredible team at Third Wheel Media. Thank you so much for listening and go do something good with purpose on purpose.